Good evening, it's Dr. Audrey Tang here with your hour of mental health and well-being. October brought us World Stroke Awareness Day, and I had the pleasure of speaking with John Goldwyn, a master planner and architect who's been on the show before to talk about his sustainable and well-being-based designs, but he also experienced stroke in 2019. Now, he joined me on location to talk about what happened and how he began to heal. I apologize in advance for the sound quality, purely because this is a recorded interview, but what he says is so uplifting and important for us to recognize. Hi, John. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Audrey. Um, World Stroke Association does want us to be aware of the following signs, and that is uh, facial drooping, the arm weakness, speech difficulties, and vision changes, but I know John is gonna explain some other symptoms as well. And their theme for this year is awareness of the signs of stroke. And they are using the hashtag precious time because we only have moments really to respond when it comes to supporting anybody who is in the midst of or having a stroke. So welcome. Thank you so much, John, for joining me today. And I'm really happy to be able, that you're willing to share your experiences. Thank you very much for having me, Audrey. I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to still be on the planet, and I'm delighted to be talking to you from a very glamorous location, as you can see. Well, this is the thing you see. Now, I, I mean, of course, I, amongst all of your friends, loved ones, everyone, am also as delighted that you're still on the planet, because strokes are one of those things. They, they affect people, and they are the fourth largest killer in the UK, and that's that's quite frightening. And so... What happened to you in 2019 is you, you had a stroke. Do you mind sharing what happened, the warning signs, and what is still affecting you now? Yep, so in 2019, I was on a business trip in California. I was uh, serving on the board of my company I used to work for, and um, I had a pretty cracking headache. Not, I don't think I've ever been ill before in my whole life. I don't think I've ever felt really anything quite like what I felt. I had a really, really splitting headache. Like um, It felt, I would describe it like someone was driving a a white hot stake through the top of my head, kind of painful. And um, sort of ummed and erred and thought, this is very strange. Took some paracetamol and thought I'd jump into bed and try and sleep it off. And then I thought better of that. Got up and spoke to my very good friend, uh, Peter, who was in California, who worked with me. And he um, very kindly um, took me to hospital. And very quickly, everything sort of escalated. I went from thinking I had a cracking headache that could have been caused by who knows what to being um, brain scans, CT scans, MRI scans, admitted into um, uh, sort of uh, intensive care and all, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the rest, as they say, uh, is history. But it was really a very quick escalation from sort of thinking there was something wrong with me to being taken to hospital, to being treated in, in, a, in a very, very... Um, I would say extreme way, having my vitals taken every 15 minutes. Um, yeah, and to answer your question, was there anything before that? I've tried to fill this in with my, with my thinking many, many times, lying in bed wondering what, you know, did I know? I used to do boxing, I used to do train for, for boxing, and sometimes I used to feel these strange headaches, I couldn't quite complain. But maybe it's because I just worked out very hard. I had one bout of anxiety in my life when my body was sort of telling me there was something wrong with me. It felt like almost there was something inside me that knew that there was something wrong, but I'm sure that everyone gets stuff like that. So I don't know what was real and what was filled in. And then to answer the final piece of your, your question, what am I left with? I have some dysesthesia, which is um, essentially change of sensation in half my body. But to be honest, I live 
the, the, the best life I've, I've ever lived in my life and I'm the happiest I've ever been. So these are small memories of what happened rather than debilitating um, symptoms. In that sense, I'm extremely lucky. I can still, you know, sort of hold it together, I think, as well as I ever could, to be honest. However good that is, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I, I think, though, just talking and listening to you talk about the escalation, the how quickly it went from... I've got a headache, there's nothing to worry about, I think, to being admitted into intensive care. I think that hammers home the seriousness of the condition because time is so essential. And I, I know you've said once that you, you do see yourself as so lucky, you walked into hospital, you walked out of it as well. And right. when you were experiencing did you have anything else? Because they do talk about the facial drooping, the arm weakness, those, those other symptoms. But I, you know, I've seen those terrifying um, government adverts where they have the woman with the, the burning, you know, and, and all of these things that are quite harrowing to a, to a non-stroke person. And I didn't really have any sense that I was having a stroke. So I knew that there was something fundamentally wrong, but I didn't, in my wildest dreams, I didn't feel the drooping face. I didn't feel the, you know, all of these uh, sort of things that you were talking about at, at, up at the top of the podcast. Um, so... Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I think, guess that when, you, when there's something really wrong with you, having suffered only from it once, I think you know, or I knew, and I wouldn't say that everyone watching would know, but somehow, yeah, I think there was a sense that there was something seriously wrong. And hence the fact, as I said, I took a couple of paracetamol, got into bed. I even stood in front of the mirror and looked at my face to see if it was drooping. And I was like, no. And I tried speaking to myself to see if I was still sort of compass mentis, which I absolutely, well, again, as, as compass mentis as I ever am. And, <laughs> and then I got into bed and then I thought better of it. And I thought there are these stories of people, you know, thinking they'll sleep relatively seriously thing, things off. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's very difficult to look back on it now, but I did know that there was something wrong. But to answer your question, no, not the, not the classic stroke symptoms by any stretch of the word. That's why I'm really grateful you're speaking about this, because if you're not getting the classic symptoms, I know you say you know, but I think you're quite in tune with yourself anyway, so that helps. But if you're not getting the classic symptoms, sometimes if there is something that you've never experienced before, the best option really is to seek medical attention because... Of course, and especially for men and middle-aged men, it's not cool to say, look, oh, there's something wrong with me, because there's this... There's a stigma of hypochondria and always oh, just uh, just complaining about stuff. But actually, what's the worst that can happen? Someone says it was nothing. It was a panic attack. It was a migraine. It was a headache. Like compared to what could happen, it's just so much better to get something checked out. I think that applies to to everything. You don't want to end up as a as a nervous gibbering wreck worrying about everything. But I think it's like, as I said, what's the worst that can happen? You get sent home from the hospital and they say, you know, really, it was just that dodgy I don't know, sandwich you ate, or I, I don't know what. I, mean, it's, I, I do think it's important to take these signs. Your body knows what it's doing. And, you know, to send you an important warning sign like that, I really do think you should listen to it. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. And I'm really glad you brought that up. Welcome back to The Lounge. In today's episode, I am playing a location-recorded interview with John Goldwyn, who experienced a stroke in 2019. And he's talking about his journey now at the start of your recovery and and you are still recovering it is a long period of of gathering strength energy and and generally letting your physical body heal 
what are some of the things that really helped you? And maybe what are some of the things that didn't? Because I know people mean well, and a lot of things come from a place of love, but there will be some things that maybe we need to be mindful of when we're trying to support others. Yeah, I mean, as a man in his mid-late 40s when he had his stroke, some people, when it first happened, looked at me and I spoke to them. You know, I was very lucky to be talking to them. And they just, you just see it in their eyes and they're thinking there but for the grace of god go i you know this could be me sitting in your position and it really doesn't help because they're speaking to you from a point of trying to say something to help you but actually they're just vocalizing fears that they have about their own their own condition and there's nothing you can do to stop that you just have to you have to acknowledge it and you have to take it and then you have to be aware of it but the second thing, I'm starting with the negatives. I'm starting with things that don't help. So that's one thing that didn't help. And there's no way of avoiding that because you have to keep interacting with people. That's what makes us human. Um, but the second thing, Google was really, really dangerous because, you know, with all of this online, sort of seemingly infinite online resource, you can get in there, you can look up, you know, I had a very specific kind of stroke in a very specific place. And I started looking at the statistics and I was like, why am I even alive? You know, how, this is a miracle that I'm still on the planet. And, you know, three years later, here I, I still am and I am still here. And I think in those early days, um, Google was a very dangerous thing, especially when you're sort of like, you know, kind of slightly hiding from the world, trying to recover back in the back in the back cave, if you like. And um, so those two things were, were really um, destructive. But the things that were also surprisingly not particularly helpful was um, a lot of the healthcare professionals I met who didn't understand the specifics of my stroke. Of course they didn't. A lot of um, general practitioners mm. are generalists. That's in their title. The clue is in the title. And they're not stroke specialists. And then I found even speaking to some of the specialists, maybe were more interested in protecting their legal position than telling me, you know, the interesting... So. I would say the medical side of things, although they've done amazing things to help me and I have actually had brain surgery, which has potentially saved my life. So all kudos to them for that. I really found that um, I suppose surrounding myself with what I would call therapeutic people, people that made me feel good and feel that I was able to achieve things and able to be okay was the most important thing. So obviously the love of my, my close family, my immediate, my wife and, and kids was very important. But also other peripheral people. I heard um, early on that acupuncture was really good for, for strokes. And so I started having acupuncture. And to be honest, the acupuncture, I'm, the jury's still out whether acupuncture works on me or not. But my acupuncturist is one of the most amazing people on planet Earth. And she helped me. She gave me talking therapy that I may be lost through, through other, um, other, other media. And um, uh, media is the wrong word, but other, other outputs. And then... Um, I, I found a, an aromatherapist. I don't particularly believe in aromatherapy. I think being massaged is a, is a very nice thing, but I don't particularly believe in aromatherapy. Again, but she's a very therapeutic person. And then again, from talking to you, Audrey, as a, as a friend and also as a psychologist, um, helped me kind of put things into place. And I think that if you surround yourself with people that make you feel good about being you, wherever you are, good, bad, or indifferent, that's probably the most important thing. And your family can only take you a certain amount of distance because you don't want to expose them to some of the stuff that you're going through. You know, I had young kids at the time and I didn't want to upset them. I didn't want to worry them. But I also, you know, it, it, you, you have to also look after yourself because, again, self-care is something that's very, in a way, it's frowned upon in some ways as being self-indulgent. You know, it's like, but if you don't have yourself in your best possible 
form, then you can't be there for the people that really need you as well. So I think that that kind of resilience that you build in in those early days is very important because it's a long, it's a long haul. I'm, I'm three years out and still recovering, still getting stronger, still dealing with some, some physical issues. But I think that's the most important thing. Find a, a tribe of people that make you feel better, um, whoever they are, whatever you're into. And then I think that's the, that's the key to, well, it was at least the key to my recovery. And they always say every stroke is different and every recovery must be different with that. But that was my key. You've made some very helpful and interesting points there because you do want to protect your immediate family, that, and that is important, which means you can't always rely on family alone. You're absolutely spot on there. And also, when you talk about healthcare professionals, through whatever reason, sometimes you may need to seek a second opinion. Sometimes you may need to seek someone else. That's okay. You need to do what's right for you. And, and I think also you mentioned um, how hanging around with people who don't make you feel like the the victim or the patient or the the person who's got something wrong you know that that sympathetic head on one side kind of yeah. feeling yeah. that can make a real difference as well and you're you're absolutely right the doctor of yeah. google isn't always the best That's terrible and another thing that was extremely um important and a uh, uh, very uh, big part of my recovery was talking to people who've been something through something similar so i found a group of people all in their um, 40s, early 50s that had been through different strokes, but different strokes, yeah, but been through different um, kinds of strokes. At, uh, 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 and we all sat down and we had a cup of coffee together. And one of the guys said to me, a guy called Clifton said, um, you know, what you really don't want to do is just sit at home and wait to die. And it was the most important thing. You know, again, it came from him that had been through something similar and his had actually been much worse than mine. I was, I was relatively lightly scathed by the by it but um i think that's really important for someone to say who's been through a story don't just sit at home and wait to die do something whatever something is i'm not saying what something is but do whatever it is that helps you and then really embrace that and i think having a group of, of guys and i've still stayed you know friends and you know i had lunch with a with another guy uh, the other day so uh, it, it's just it's just keeping whatever, whatever, whatever helps you, keeping it going and, and believing in it and believing in yourself and helping others to help you to believe in yourself. This helping um, others is really important because a lot of the medical profession now is beginning to champion lived experience as some of the best people to help others through certain things because you're right everyone is different their experiences will be different but by being able to reflect on what you've gone through you might something you say might resonate with other people which the medical practitioner might not be able to to reach or, or understand now when it comes to uh, the brain we we always don't know what happens because so many different changes can be happening we don't know what's going on in there without doing too much damage but certainly your mental and emotional strength uh, the support in your recovery, all of those things can be really helpful. How do you find an optimistic attitude has helped in terms of the, maybe some of the tougher times as well as recovery? Well, I think it's important, first of all, to say that optimists, it's, it's clinically and scientifically proven that optimists have better outcomes and that they live longer. Um, it's not just you know, you know, sort of stiff up, get on with it, be, be, pretend to be positive. It's actually scientific proof that that's the case. And I think I was lucky in, in a sense to be born optimistic or to be made optimistic as a child by, you know, my development or whatever it was, a combination of the two. But I think that 
there's also another thing, which is, well, what else are you going to do? I go back to what my friend, friend Cliff said, you're not going to sit at home and wait to die. You might as well just get on with it and seize every day and seize every moment and seize every every second that you have here and be, you know, doing the best you can with it. And that just feels optimistic. But at the same time, what else are you going to do? Just sit in the, you know, sit at home and watch daytime TV with the, with the curtains closed. I think it's really important to just to just get on with it. And that's not optimistic or brave it's just pragmatic really Mm. now the importance of that pragmatic approach probably served you very well because something i know that you said to me when we've talked about this is that you've had problems accessing some support because they told you effectively you're not ill enough and and it upsets me because I hear this a lot when it comes to mental health services. People have been turned away because they're not ill enough. And I've had clients say, how ill am I supposed to actually be? We're talking real at the end of their, their sort of resilience at this point. So do you mind telling me a little bit more about that and, and how the group that you created helped you and, and the other things that you found instead? Yeah, I mean, I was... Um, I, I tried to, to be referred by my doctor. My doctor tried to refer me to my local authority because, again, of this, this dysesthesia and certain fairly mild physical symptoms. But fairly mild physical symptoms can give you fairly major um, psychological feelings about, wow, I've, you know, the fact that if you've got the feeling that you're being squeezed, for example, on your arm or on your leg and your brain is sending this message and you can't stop feeling like you're being squeezed, then you're rem- reminded you had a stroke. 24-7 and the only, the only respite you get from that is, is when you're sleeping and even then you have funny dreams about it and so uh, I tried self-referring as well and obviously was told again you know it, people weren't mean they were they just it's like I think that there's limited resources I get that and I, I, I feel very lucky that I had the ability to, to create my own support network um, outside of my immediate family and, and, and these kinds of things so I think um, it's just it, it's very difficult to know what to say in that situation because, again, a, a, some of this stuff costs money and some of this doesn't cost money. It doesn't cost any money to, to put together a group of people that can have a chat about things. Again, that was very useful for me. My, my stroke group, my self-appointed uh, stroke group, was very early in the, very important in the early days. Um, and it cost nothing. Other things, as I said, like having acupuncture, um, I, 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 I pay for, you know, and it's, it's, it's something that you have to have the financial means to to access but it's just it's I think it, it's difficult to be told you know when you've had a life-threatening situation and every stroke is life-threatening every single one and the one I had was particularly life-threatening and the, the subsection of the one that I had that was particularly life-threatening was in a very eloquent area of my brain right in the middle so you know you're dealing with this psychologically and then being told that you're not you know you're not ill or you're not um, bad enough to be seen by by rehabilitation services. So again, the only advice I could give is that try and put together talking to people that have been through something similar or who at least understand something about your, you know, what you're dealing with on a daily basis that aren't your immediate family that have got enough to deal with. Having a partner or a loved one who's had a, had a stroke is enough to deal with in itself, you know, without them sort of then relying you on for, for other stuff. So I think it's very important to have that kind of talking. I think the talking is probably, for me, the most important part of it. And you just find the people that you can talk to and talk to them in any way that you, that you can or that you feel comfortable in the way that they feel comfortable. 
That's really important. That really is. And, and with that, so I, I know I'm sticking on the slightly negative for the minute. Um, another thing which I think people have to deal with quite a lot, especially when it comes to invisible illnesses and mental ill health, is that to look at you, you really don't look as if you have experienced a stroke. It, you, you, don't look, you don't look as if you've yeah, been sick a day in your life. I, How? I looked this awful before I had my stroke. <laughs> It's just yeah, life, no, it's just that's life, right. that's no. all it is. <laughs> but, no, but how right. yeah. do you deal with that you don't look sick attitude, which I think anything that you can say here will really help anyone who's going through that, that feeling of, am I supposed to just look so unbelievably rough before I get taken seriously? Yeah, it's, it's so difficult. I do believe, you know, that disabilities and they, they come in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and you can't see a lot of them. I remember shortly after um, my stroke, I went to watch one of my daughters doing a diving competition and I was still feeling very, feeling very fizzy and numb and a bit strange and a bit headachey. And I stood in a, in a hot swimming pool watching her doing a, a diving competition and all I wanted to do was just sit down. And everyone else was sitting down and I didn't say, look, can someone just please stand up? I'd really like to sit down. I just stood up and... But, you know, no one knew because, as you say, I look like a sort of normal, mediocre man in his, in his middle age. So it's, it, it is very difficult to know how people should, because you don't want to wear a badge. You know, I've had a stroke on your, please give up your seat, I've had a stroke, because that sort of goes a little bit um, against, <laughs> against feeling as great as I feel. So I, I, I think really it's just a case of, people have to go through their own journey on that. And it's, it's quite difficult, I think. I don't, I don't really know how to answer how you deal with that. And again, you can do things, you can do so many things to make yourself feel better. But that thing is something that doesn't go away. You know, I get quite tired sometimes. I feel a bit tired. And I remember my great aunt always used to say, well, you know, no one ever died of being tired, which is true, you know, and it, it is true. And so if I'm tired, I have a sleep. And I often go to bed before my 11-year-old daughter, and that's fine because I wake up and I'm fine again the next morning. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's just so difficult to answer that question. I don't really know how you deal with that. But, yeah, looking, looking fine on the outside and, and struggling something with something on the inside, I think is just something that our society is full of. People walking down the street with terrible mental health issues, with anxiety issues, all sorts of things. Uh, it's all... It's, it's difficult. It's something as humans, we're not really programmed to, to see under the surface. We don't have that x-ray vision or whatever it might be. We need to be even better than x-ray to, to really see what people were thinking and what they were feeling. But I think you make a really good point about all of us needing to be a little bit more mindful, a little bit more compassionate, because you really don't know and you really can't see what's going on. And then not also not to blame ourselves if perhaps you know, say I was at that diving competition, didn't realize, didn't give up my seat and then feel absolutely horrendous about it because it does work both ways. And you're so right. Not a lot of people want to wear a badge saying, oh, by the way. And, and so whilst on the one hand, society says, well, there are badges, there are things like that. Yeah. It, we've got to understand that people do sometimes want to keep things private because that might be part of their recovery and their identity of, of, coming through it rather than reminding them where they were once so yeah, I, i'm glad you, you don't look like you've had a stroke it's also really empowering as well it feels great when someone says wow you look fine or you know you look great that feels really good like it always did but even better so because i've been through something that's obviously quite you know quite traumatic and quite quite 
quite serious. Yeah. When it came to the start of your recovery, how did you manage the uncertainty and the fear? I mean, it's lovely now, where you are now, but there was no guarantee. So how did you manage that, that uncertainty? Yeah, I think I developed my own brand, probably, of mindfulness that about, I think that if you can be okay right now, this second, then you can be okay this minute and this day, and you can start... I remember filling out the forms for my, for my daughter's school and wondering whether I'd be alive when she started at the school, which was obviously, you know, I didn't, it, it felt very strange putting my contact details in because it's like, you know, am I still going to be around? And then that kind of very acute feeling all subsided and slipped away. And now I think that kind of focus on the, on the present and that focus on the, on the now has actually given me the ability to forward plan more than I would have done in my old life before the stroke. So I think that the secret is focus. If you feel great now, you can feel great in a minute's time and then in an hour's time and then a day, and you can go and meet people next week, next year, you can talk about your retirement and suddenly it, it all falls back into space. So I think it's, it's focusing on, and as I said, the me time, having the ability, I often have this discussion with um, other people, including my wife about how important self-care is because if you're not there for yourself, then you can't be there for other people. And if you don't have the resilience, we've talked a lot in the past about resilience, if you don't have this, um, this rule between you and, and you know, unknown events and what might happen, then it's difficult to then you know, rebuild or you know, prevent them when, when things happen. So I think that's probably the main difference before who I was before and who I am now is that I've, you know, kind of built up a wall of resilience that I probably didn't have before. And I think that's all based on your, your first question, having this kind of approach to, to, to now to deal with, you know, whatever might come at you later. That's really wise words for anybody and anybody going through anything. And especially when it comes to something that others can't see, because so much of that has to come from within. Thank you so much. I know you're en route, so I really appreciate you taking the time to stop <laughs> and have a chat with me. So I am so grateful. How can we get in touch with you? I know, I know we, we talked about your wonderful work and all of the things that you do, but if we want to just talk about, about having had your stroke and how you yep. recovered, how can yep. we get in touch with you? I think Wild15 um, through Instagram is probably the easiest or um, LinkedIn or anything uh, sort of social, those two social media platforms would probably be the easiest, but um, I'd be delighted to talk to anyone who's going through something similar or has a, a loved one going through something similar, because I think it's, um, as I said, for me, talking was absolutely the most important thing and not just talking to people who, who were, were worried about me and loved me, but talking to people who understood what it actually feels like to, to have something like this. So thank you very much for having me. Oh, no, thank you so much, John. Always, it's a pleasure. Um, if you want to find out more about strokes, go to the World Stroke Association webpage and you'll find everything about their campaign. And it is World Stroke Day tomorrow, October 29th, with the hashtag Precious Time. So thank you so much, John. Have a safe journey home and I will speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Thanks, Audrey. Bye.